The following is a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management. Welcome to Issues That Matter, a weekly program featuring interesting topics and fascinating guests. Each week, Issues That Matter tackles the concerns of people across all spectrums. And now with this week's edition of Issues That Matter, here are your hosts, Edward King and Kristen Hurley. Thank you very much, Mark. Kristen, it's great to have you on board today. Here I am. We've got heavy stuff to talk about today. Yeah, and again, as as it mentions, you know, issues that matter, this guest that we have today is really bringing a ground-level view of an issue that has um, been in the news for two and a half years since the takeover by the left. And um, this person is somebody that we can really rely on because he is sharing his his story, his experience, his real-life upbringing that brings a, a very valid viewpoint. And we're so happy to have him. Our today's guest, his name is Anthony Cabasa. And my understanding is he's the communications director for the RNHA California, which is the California Republican National Hispanic Assembly. He's an independent journalist and he also has a host of a Informed with Anthony podcast. He's been a U.S. Coast Guard for 11 years. He's the son of a Mexican immigrant mother, and he was raised in a single-parent home. And currently, and I believe this is coming right from his heart, his mission is to inform his community and basically about the failed policies that government has been giving to minorities which in fact have actually kept minorities government independent and not built up their community, not been pro-community, just ownership of the community. Government dependent. Right. And so it's really needs to be said because, you know, this has not provided a future that I know because I've lived in Mexico. I was basically raised in a very small community, agricultural-based community, and um, I feel very much a part of the story. So, Anthony, we want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, Anthony, was I correct about your introduction? You're currently an independent journalist, but my understanding is some of your footage and activity has been on Fox News. It's been on uh, Heritage Foundation, PragerU. Keep going. Where else can people find you and see your story? Yeah, the introduction was uh, spot on. Uh, the only thing is that I'm, I'm no longer the communications director for the RNHF of California, um, but I, I do still work closely with that organization. But I'm, I'm focused more on just the independent journalism, and, and that can be found mostly on YouTube and uh, social media. Mm-hmm. As uh, in, if you just type in "inform with Anthony," uh, that is my at. That is the way that you can find me on Facebook. I am on uh, Twitter. I can you can find me on YouTube, where where I do a lot of podcasting and and daily informational videos and, and breakdowns of breaking news and, and other informational uh, subjects that people are interested in, culture, politics, breaking news, all that good stuff, yeah. And this is my absolute favorite thing about this 
crazy world we live in is we're taking responsibility for ourselves. I love independent journalists, right? We're all sick to death of mainstream media and all of the propaganda garbage that's the talking heads and stuff. I love it when Americans take matters into their own hands and go and want to speak the truth. And I think that that's, you know, it's Edward said, your mission. Um, and so why don't you talk a little bit about who you are and what you do and, you know, what you've seen over the years and, and what your focus is? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. I'll jump right into that. Um, so I'm 35 years of age, uh, happily married with my wife, uh, who was my high school sweetheart. Uh, well, she still is my high school sweetheart. There you go. Uh, <laughs> she and, did graduate uh, from high school though, right? <laughs> she, she did, yes. And uh, we have three beautiful children and we're currently living in Los Angeles, uh, County, uh, California. Uh, I'll be honest, we live in a very uh, more more conservative part. Can you believe that? There are still very conservative spots out here in Los Angeles kind of holding out for dear life. And um, yeah, when, when I turned 18, uh, right after high school, 9-11 uh, had just happened. And so I, I decided that I wanted to enlist in the United States military. And my grandfather is a uh, uh, prisoner of war of the Korea War back in the 1950s in the U.S. And then my father uh, was also U.S. Army. He was special forces with the Army Rangers. And so growing up, I, I you know, was a lot more conservative uh, views, uh, upbringing as well. My mother raised me Christian. And so naturally, we just had a lot of uh, conservative values and traits and in culture around us, which is kind of a point that I make often is that uh, Hispanics and Latinos were a lot more conservative than we think. That's kind of how I started my my messaging to the Latino and Hispanic community, specifically here in Los Angeles, but all throughout California. And of course, the nation is making that plea to them is we need to remind ourselves who we are, that we're here to work you know, uh, hard and, and not necessarily for handouts. Uh, as this administration is currently uh, overplaying that hand in, in, in the handouts. Um, and so since I left the military in 2017, I've kind of made it my mission to uh, get involved more politically. Uh, I didn't even vote in the 2016 election. Uh, growing up, it was just one of those things where, you know, my mom as an immigrant said, you know, we're not really here to change politics of this country that has gifted us so much. We're here to work and, and make sure that we're not a burden. Uh, unfortunately, I think that that, been, that mindset has, um, you know, slowly been done away with where now we're having more and more migrants coming to the U.S. expecting these hands because they've heard so much about them uh, that, you know, the migrants uh, like my mother that came here that didn't want to be a burden and ne never wanted to apply for any kind of social welfare or anything like that have kind of been done away with. And, um, and, and you know, that's thanks to a lot of these progressive policies and, and again, government handouts that were breeding this new mentality of people coming into the U.S., uh, but since 2017, I did start a podcast with a good friend of mine, um, and we've been just slowly trying to uh, teach people uh, the reality of of these policies. You know, a lot of it has to do with the language uh, barrier here in Los Angeles, where a lot of these Spanish-speaking migrants uh, are finding it harder and harder to kind of connect at the local level with with politicians. And you know, let's let's face it, California has been a Democrat-ran state for for decades. And so to, to, to most people, this is just all they know, and they don't understand that there, there could be a, a huge difference, a huge shift in politics and policies, most importantly, especially when it comes to cost of living, when it comes to taxes, when it comes to gas prices. 
you know, all these things could be, you know, fixed if, you know, slowly, of course, if, if each election we get better and better at, at voting uh, better policies and better candidates into office as opposed to worse and worse, it seems. And so with this podcast, we've been able to inform a lot of Latinos and Hispanics that are waking up to the reality that, you know, that this one party state is is not a solution. It, it's actually become an increasing problem for everyone that lives here. And that's why you have record people fleeing the state. And so since, yeah, since 2017, I've uh, been doing independent journalism, podcasting, connecting with the Hispanic community, uh, going around college campuses and universities, talking about the real threat at the border. When I was in the military, I worked at the border as a Spanish translator. And uh, my job was literally to apprehend illegal migrants and cartel that were trying to smuggle illegal migrants and uh, drugs into the United States. So I got to see firsthand uh, as a Hispanic uh, translator in, in the United States military that this is what was going on in our, in our nation's borders. And mm-hmm. what's really, you know, what's really interesting to me is when I served uh, over a decade in DHS as United States Coast Guard and as a Spanish translator, we never really got to see any activists or, or people, you know, calling us racist for, for doing our job and protecting our nation's borders. I served in the military all eight years under President Obama. And, and we would often get, you know, thank you uh, emails from President Obama and, and DHS secretary thanking us for protecting our nation's borders, ensuring that no drugs or, or humans were being trafficked in high record numbers. And, and so it was kind of a shock to me that when everything shifted in 2016, now suddenly my job was you know deemed as racist and, and, and bigoted. And so it was kind of a culture shock to me to, to find uh, my colleagues and myself uh, under fire uh, by especially the corporate media as you know being labeled as racist when a, a lot of us are Hispanic and, and, and Latinos because we know Spanish and we're at the border where you need to be able to uh, speak Spanish and, and and be able to communicate with the migrants. So I'm a little confused. I don't mean to interrupt, but if President Obama wasn't calling you that two weeks later after he was gone, who started calling you racist, even though you're Hispanic? I mean, where, where did that voice come from? I think it was... Uh I think it was a campaign of misinformation because when Donald Trump announced that he was running for for president, uh, he was actually, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, he was the only president in U.S. history that was ever endorsed uh, by the Border Patrol Union uh, as, as a primary candidate. Usually the Border Patrol Union waits until you have your nominee to make that. But with Donald Trump, he came down there and he shook hands and he communicated with them, what is it that you need? Uh, but at the same time, the media was already making a spin of it, saying that Donald Trump was racist, that he hated Mexicans, that he hated migrants because he wanted to secure a nation's borders. And so those talking points kind of came from the corporate side of media uh, and the mainstream media saying that Donald Trump, if he were elected into president, that we would see mass deportations of even legal immigrants. And this is something that was conveyed to me when I came out as a conservative in 2017, 2018, and as a Trump supporter, uh, that was conveyed to me that if he were to win, that I would be deported myself. And I said, well, that's going to be hard to do because I'm a U.S. citizen. <laughs> Boy, they're <laughs> reaching deep. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and, and so that's that's very very sad. So in essence, in essence, what you're talking about is that the attack was on Trump, and anything and everything that they could say, you know, it's kind of slinging you remember mud the against kids the wall. in cages hysteria Correct. that you know, it was mm. very soon after Trump came into office. 
oh, look at him. He has kids. He's separating kids yeah, from that their was parents. Be- that was during the Obama era. Those, even the pictures were. Sure, exactly. But I'm <laughs> saying the, the chorus of hysteria. Right. Yeah, I actually have a really good story on that. I'm actually banned from Univision in uh, Los Angeles, the headquarters there. I, I used to be invited often to go on an AM radio show there. And one day that was that exact topic that you just raised was was talked about. Uh, so they have two hosts. One of them's more independent. One of them was fairly liberal. And of course, mm-hmm. myself as a conservative Hispanic. And um, I went on there and we were talking about the kids in cages. And those those pictures, I remember exactly the ones you're talking about, did go viral. I even uh, remember that uh, celebrities started posting them. Kevin Hart um, you know, posted that saying how disgusting it was for Donald Trump to put kids in cages. And then it came out later uh, and it was debunked that those pictures were actually from the Obama era. Mm-hmm. And so when I was arguing with these uh, uh, um, at Univision, when I was at this uh, show for their AM radio, the host brought it up that, you know, how could I, as a Hispanic, as a Latino, as a son of an immigrant, support someone that was putting kids in cages? And I'm like, I know exactly what, why you brought this up. I've seen the images. Let me tell you, this is what happened. And when I corrected her, uh, she was not happy about it. Uh, she kept yelling over me, over the mic. And then she told me that uh, that it was at least a fair assessment that Donald Trump built the cages. And I once again had to correct her and say, that is not true. Those cages were built back in 2014 and they were detention centers because of the rise of migrants. And she said, that is incorrect. Uh, those were for the human smugglers. I'm like, the, the intention might have been to build those detention centers for the human smugglers, but kids and families ended up inside of them. And that's what happened. We cut to a commercial break, you know, and, and I was, uh, you know, told, thank you so much for coming. And then later on, I, I made a point on my social media to call her out because they called me a liar after that commercial break saying that like, you know, the person that we just had on was being dishonest. That's not true. So I used the only platform I had, which was my social media. And I called her a liar. And I said, this is, and here are the, here's the evidence. Shortly after the producer called me uh, saying that the person was receiving hate mail from my audience. And of course I have no control over that. I never instructed anyone to, to send hate mail to, of, of any regard. Um, and they told me that I was no longer welcome at Univision because of that debate that we had in which the host felt very embarrassed uh, well, for, for being heckly wrong. So, Yeah, it's very scary. I know there is a, a large Hispanic radio group that was in Florida that a year or so ago was bought out by George Soros. And that was very distressing because my knowledge of that radio network was down the middle. I mean, you know, it served the Hispanic and broadly Hispanic, Cuban and so forth community. And then now it's just a propaganda tunnel of garbage. Yes, that's... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. So this was, I remember this... uh, day where uh, George Soros basically appointed two women to buy up radio stations in South Florida and across the country. Mm-hmm. And and these were all small time, you know, radio stations that had stayed independent or right of center kind of talking about the real news. I'd actually been on a couple of those radios in South Florida, radio stations They had invited me on after I was covering the border last year. And suddenly the, 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 the calls from the producers stopped coming because they were bought out. So you have George Soros who actually invested, if I remember correctly, over $71 million uh, to buy out all these small little radio stations and appoint people that align more with their agenda. 
And so that's, you know, that, and that's the attack on the information, not just on the American people, but they knew that these radio stations served to inform the, the Spanish speaking community, the immigrant community. And this is how they, they attack us. This is why, again, I got into this independent media uh, mm-hmm. to, to inform the, 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 not just the immigrant community, but Americans everywhere, uh, even his second generation, third generation, fourth generation, Hispanic, Latino Americans that have been here, you know, that are able to vote, but just for whatever reason, don't feel inclined to vote because they just don't understand the politics of things. Well, when you have 60 plus percent of the population in California, <clears throat> that is either not voting, not participating, also not defending their their belief system, which is family-based, generationally family-based, and they are getting hoodwinked into believing that the reason why they're here, the reason why they're crossing our borders is because we're going to give them free stuff. Right. And it's it's so contrary to the community that I was raised in. And, um, you know, I'm so pleased to see individuals like you standing up and, and making a statement and telling the truth. In essence, the truth will set us free do you do your podcast in Spanish? I mean, you know, we've got a huge community even up here in Central California that needs to be informed, educated, and and set free with the truth. Yes. So I actually did do Spanish for about three years. I had a Spanish podcast that was, again, also on my YouTube. Uh, currently, I've, I've only been doing English. I'm working with a production company where we have like a deal set up where I do um, podcasting and, and videos. Right now, it's strictly in English, but we are working on kind of crowdfunding uh, going into 2024 so we can ramp up those Spanish segments again. Uh, and believe it or not, there is a... a pretty big, pretty good, decent size of conservative Hispanics here in Los Angeles that speak Spanish and are willing to come on and, and kind of have that conversation. Um, it, it's just that right now we just don't have the uh, uh, the resources to be able to, to do a uh, a couple of shows a week in Spanish, but we are working on that. But yeah, that, that you bring up a really good point. This is something that uh, has been talked about for so long. Uh, Tucker Carlson has talked about it on Fox news saying that it is imperative that we, we start investing into, you know, the immigrant community because look, the reality is, is that it doesn't seem like anything's going to be solved anytime soon with the ongoing border crisis. So well, all you have is migrants flooding the border and coming into our country. Well, if we can't fix the problem right now, I think that we should at least start with informing them now um, and not just the illegal immigrants, but a- any migrant that is coming over that, you know, Spanish speaking or coming from Latin American countries. We need to start targeting them because Democrats are really good at targeting this community as soon as they get here. They, they help them through uh, non-government organizations uh, to, to start helping them kind of apply for a work visa or a student visa if they could apply for it, uh, you know, uh, and starting to get their paperwork in order, linking them over with lawyers and, and helping them with this process and, and in the in the works of that, once they start, you know, uh, attending these classes to become naturalized citizens, uh, what they end up doing is they ensure that on the day of the naturalization, the day that they proclaim that they are now U.S. citizens, the Democrats are right there waiting to get these people, you know, hey, we, we'd love for you to register as a Democrat and start voting for us. You, you remember us, right? We, we've been you 
we've been with you since the beginning to those non nonprofit organizations. And Republicans, unfortunately, especially in California, I see that a lot of the times we're kind of overseen, we're kind of seen as a lost cause. And so Republicans don't really make an effort to come out here except for fundraising in very conservative areas like Orange County, uh, where they were only time Republicans come out here is for those run, fundraising events. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them just don't make the effort to come and communicate and, and see California as like, hey, it can be saved. And it starts with you locally. You know, we need to make sure we plug away at those city councils, at those school boards, uh, you know, those water boards, uh, board of supervisor positions, you know. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely ready down here. And I think I'm, I'm sure you you are up there as well. Um, it's just, uh, unfortunately, California is overseen a lot by, uh, you know, national Republicans. Um, I know Donald Trump was out here. Uh, I don't think he ever gave a rally, um, which I think he would have been well received. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, you know, again, uh, I, I just think that they see California as kind of a lost cause. So we got some work I, I to do for heard, sure. I have heard out of the horse's mouth, uh, Hispanic people say, well, they tell us we're Democrats even before we come over the border. So I, yeah. I definitely know that that's. Uh, those mechanics are in the work works. Well, let's talk about, let's talk some actual numbers about what's going on in the border. What I find striking is finally, it's actually kind of in the mainstream news, NBC, CNN, in the last week or two, preparing for this removal, tidy, sorry, title 42. Um, it's actually become a not national conversation. Um, so since the Biden administration, has opened the floodgates, right? And we remember early on the people with the t-shirts saying, you know, Biden, Biden says come to the USA or, you know, it's been broadcast across the globe that America is border free and open for everyone. And there's what been 6 million people, nobody knows for sure, right? Let's talk about who it is and what's actually going on at the border. Who is coming across and what's happening to them once they get here? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that one of the biggest misconceptions that people have is that all illegal immigrants are Mexican. <laughs> and I think that that's obvious because of, uh, you know, the, the port of entry is in Mexico coming into the U.S. But the reality is um, that the statistics show, the percentages show that actually less than 50 percent of illegal migrants coming into the United States are Mexican nationals, and that number continues to go down. Uh, but what we see is that we actually have over 150 countries arriving at the U.S. border, and these people are making the trek all the way from Haiti, from Cuba, uh, from India, from China, from Russia, from Ukraine. So you have all these different countries rushing our southern border. And a lot of it actually has to do because of Title 42. So this is actually something I recently learned. I was uh, asking myself, well, what's going to happen after the, the removal of Title 42? And it turns out that we're going to be going back to Title 8. And so Title 42, what people need to understand is that this is not a new policy. This wasn't a Trump policy. This tr policy has actually been in place since the 1940s. And basically what it does is it allows the federal government to expel uh, illegal migrants arriving at the border or trying to gain entry into the U.S. Uh, for uh, health reasons, uh, basically saying that they don't want, you know, uh, some kind of foreign disease or virus entering the United States. And of course, we just went three years of the pandemic, uh, which uh, that those federal emergencies ended last night. And in parallel with that, so did Title 42. So 
the previous administration, Trump administration, activated Title 42 uh, that would expel U.S. Uh, or migrants uh, out of the U.S. and and back into Mexico. However, there was no consequences uh, for the migrants expelled other than just being expelled from the U.S. Under Title 8, however, the way it was before Title 42, there actually are consequences uh, if you are expelled and do not have a legitimate asylum case. So if I remember correctly from reading the article, uh, if you come into the U.S. legally under Title VIII and you are expelled and you you are not able to seek asylum or don't have an asylum case, you're actually banned from re- trying to re-enter the country for up to five years. And that was just not the case under Title 42. Title 42, you could be expelled and the very next day, you could try coming right back in depending on how much money you had to offer the, the 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 entry fee that was to the cartel. And so what ends up happening to your second question with the people that come into the United States, I'm seeing that even still this week, which by the way, looking at the numbers, we've had the most illegal uh, entries into the U.S. in recorded history just this week alone, uh, which was close to about 63,000 migrants all across the U.S. border, U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, a lot of them go into what is called NGOs, uh, non-government organizations. So these non-government organizations are all along the border that help these migrants, illegal migrants, uh, kind of start setting up their process to come into the United States. Uh, I have uh, sources down at the border that have said that a lot of these migrants, uh, because they are so overwhelmed at the detention centers and at these NGO processing centers to kind of help them start allocating them across the country, is that they're going to start releasing them into cities. But to back it up just a bit, once these illegal immigrants come into the United States, what I have personally seen from covering the border is that they are told by the cartel, go turn yourself into Border Patrol. And again, this was under Title 42. Now, normally, if you're illegally breaking the law and coming into the United States, you want to avoid Border Patrol. But what was happening under Title 42, because there was no consequence if you were expelled from the U.S. into Mexico and you can just come back the very next day, um, is that. Uh, they were being told, turn yourself into Border Patrol because they are accepting a majority of people. Now, what's interesting about Title 42 is that under President Donald Trump, over 90%, over 90% of illegal immigrants that were coming into ports of entry to the United States were expelled back to Mexico. However, when the Biden administration came came uh, into, into office and they took over, less than 50% of illegal immigrants under the very same policy, Title 42, were expelled from the U.S. One of the reasons for that change was because the the Biden-Harris administration promised that any unaccompanied minor coming into the U.S. would be received as kind of a gesture of, of humanity, saying we are not inhumane like the previous administration that would you know expel even unaccompanied minors. Well, what did this do? This obviously sent a message to families that wanted to come into the United States and say, hey, maybe as a family, we're not going to be able to make it to the U.S. So we're just going to start sending our kids by themselves because they will 100% be accepted into the U.S. Once there, the kids can now be sent to family or relatives or be put into a government foster home where they can start the process with lawyers and these NGOs to start petitioning for their families to come over. And the possibility of that was a lot higher than if entire families came into the border. So I actually interviewed minors as as, as little as four or five years old that made that trek by themselves. And I asked them, why did you come here by yourself? 
you didn't think it was dangerous? You, you know, what were your parents thinking? And they told me, my parents sent me alone because they told me that if we come as a family, we would not be allowed into the US. But if they send me alone, they know that I am guaranteed to be allowed into the US. Wow. And, and so that, that was a very shocking kind of realization for me saying, well, where are these children ending up? And because Axios reported, I believe it was in 2021 or 2022, that a third of the children that the Biden-Harris administration was allowing into the U.S., uh, they could not track. They had no idea where these children were. And now we're learning that these numbers are close to about 85,000 unaccompanied minors are, are basically lost. They don't, the DHS, the Biden administration, they have no idea where these children are. These are people that, you know, these are children that went through the process. DHS contacted these foster parents, these families that, you know, sign up uh, to take care of these children while they're going through the process. But when DHS tries to call them to follow up with them, these people are no longer responding. And Project Veritas actually did a really good video on this. Back when James O'Keefe, uh, who was the previous uh, CEO of that uh, organization, of that um, media project, they actually went in undercover and they were exposing that a lot of these quote unquote foster families and and even some of these people that pretended to be family were actually being hired by the cartel in the U.S. and in order to get these children here. Uh, and, and so the way the process works, just so that everyone listening can understand, is the cartel, let's say in Mexico, tells a family, if you want to go into the U.S., we're going to need your child. Because if we take you as a family, you guys are going to be denied. Trust us, this is the best way that we can do it. They convince the family to send the minor unaccompanied to the U.S. border. That minor now goes to these NGOs at the border. They're processed by, you know, uh, border patrol. They're sent to these NGOs that uh, claim to be Catholic uh, and, 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 you know, faith-based. And then they're sending these children in the dead of night uh, to cities across America to be put into foster homes or, you know, uh, alleged uh, family members. Well, it turns out that these family members quote unquote, are actually not family members. Mm -hmm. And and because, you know, the child doesn't know any better, the parents convince these kids like, yeah, you know, we're sending you to your aunt in Chicago, but they're really hired by the cartel. And unfortunately, especially for teenage women and even, or teenage girls and even teenage boys, and again, this is all documented, they are sold into child prostitution inside of the United States. And this is in order to pay for their family to be brought into the United States or to pay off the debt that they now owe to the cartel. And it's not just prostitution. And it's not just child prostitution. A lot of these minors get sent to agricultural. Uh, they uh, McDonald's just had a massive lawsuit because they were uh, found to be exploiting hundreds of, of illegal immigrant children. Um, and Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there was actually just testimony before Congress of a DHS w uh, whistleblower uh, where she was exposing that cartel are now uh, grabbing indigenous Latin American children because they don't know English, they don't know Spanish, and they're being sold into child prostitution here in the United States. And they're not able to communicate because these are indigenous. These are uh, right, like right. The, the the Mayas, the Incas, the Aztecs, that the, basically the indigenous Latin Americans that never picked up Spanish or English. And so imagine having that language barrier cartel coming to smuggle you into the United States 
and now you're being sold to, you know, illegal either child prostitution or child exploitation uh, to labor, and you're not even able to communicate or even tell police ever what's really going on. So these are, you know, it, it might be hard to believe, it might be hard to hear for a lot of your listeners, but. As a person that worked at, in DHS 10 plus years with many sources at the border, and I've been down to the border uh, more than a handful of times, and I'm going to be going again today uh, through the weekend. Uh, this is what Border Patrol is telling me is happening every single day in at the U.S.-Mexico border, but also across cities across America. Yeah. And um, before we move on in this interview, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. You're listening to Business Sense Radio Show, Issues That Matter with Edward King and Kristen Hurley, and we will be right back. Freedom Fest 2023 is coming to the home of the blues and birthplace of rock and roll, Memphis, Tennessee, July 12th through 15th. The ultimate summit for liberty and financial freedom hosted by Fox Business, Lisa Kennedy. Attend our global financial summit. Four days of investment advice, dozens of financial experts. Use promo code BIZ50 and save 50 bucks off. That's B-I-Z-5-0. Reserve your spot at freedomfest.com. See you in Memphis. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at alliancetrains.com. We're back. Thank you very much. We've got a excellent interview guest today, uh, Anthony Cabasa, who is working as an independent journalist because he has a passion for the story that he is chasing down. And Kristen, I know you had another question for Anthony. Yeah, I'm still silenced by what we were talking about before the break. The government knows this is going on very well. They have people that they know what's going on. And so it dumbfounds me. It it shocks and horrifies me that the messaging coming out of the federal government, especially from Mayorkas, right, our Homeland Security guy. Um, oh, these are tragic figures that need asylum from their dangerous regimes and you know immigration is all about achieving equity he is quoted as saying and it's his agenda to perpetuate this and lie to the american people and complete um completely ignore the facts on the ground as is you know as you're telling us here what do the so there's a difference, and we were talking about your mother's experience coming in as an immigrant and her attitudes about wanting to work hard and, you know, assimilate here in the United States and be a part of the country. I've heard that time and time again, but I feel like the Hispanic community that has been here in America and strives to be American, wants to be an American citizen, participate in this country, and uh, understands the freedoms and the beauty of, of our constitution and bill of rights, et cetera. Um, what is, how do they feel about what's going on at the border right now? That's a the, really the, good the, question. The Hispanic communities, you know, when Anthony right. is uh, in LA, uh, in Texas and Arizona, I'm saying the established Hispanic communities that live and work here in the United States. Salinas Valley. And yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Our, our backyard mm -hmm. here. Um, yes. What do you hear from these people about 
the way the Biden administration um, is is obliterating what citizenship means and and this migrant crisis. Yes, absolutely, and that's that's a really good and fair question, and and it is you know reminds me always whenever I'm asked this, uh, it, it reminds me of a story when I went to McAllen, Texas. Um, to cover the border crisis when it was first kind of ramping up to become a border crisis, DHS was you know sounding the alarm, saying, "Hey, what's going on here?" Um, what what I, I experienced there was it, it, immediately I jumped into an Uber. That's when like the whole masking was still going on under the pandemic. That's how early on it was. And I was talking to the driver. I noticed that he had an accent picked up that he was Hispanic. So I started talking to him in Spanish. And so he's like, you know, what are you here for? And I told him that I was there to talk, you know, to cover what was going on at the border. And I asked him, well, how do you, you know, is it like a problem for you guys here in McAllen, Texas? And he's like, oh, is it a problem? He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, I, I, you know why I have to work Uber? It's because this is my third job. I have to work through the night just to be able, because they shut down my business. The Biden administration shut down my business and they're not letting us work because of the pandemic. So I am having to work all these other side jobs and I am pissed off that illegal migrants are allowed into this country while hardworking Americans are having their businesses and our churches shut down, being told what we can and cannot do. I don't have money to be able to provide for my family, but then we are, you know, we are seeing an explosion of illegal immigrants uh, you know, a lot of them, we don't know if they're vaccinated or not. We don't know what, what else, you know, they might be bringing in uh, with all these different variants. Uh, and and on top of that, we are being told here locally that we're having to put them up at all these nice hotels and they get a free flight to wherever they want to go in the country. It's like, and that's being done with our money. And it's like, I am furious. Like, what about us? What about me? You know, this is him speaking. He's like, I came in the 70s. I I, start, I had to pick up jobs here and there just to get by. He's like, I now finally have a home, but I'm on the verge of losing my home because I don't have any money to pay for it. And he's like, what, what about the people that did it the right way? And now we have hundreds of thousands of them just flooding over without having to do it to do it the right way. And instead of, you know, being expelled back into their country, they're being rewarded by being flown to wherever they wish to be in the country to be united with family. He's like, how how is that fair for us? And on top of that, I've spoken to hundreds, if not thousands of Latinos and Hispanics that have said that, you know, I'm we're waking up that the reality is that this is a human, a global human trafficking operation. This is not about, you know, of course, everyone feels compassionate and, and sympathetic to the story of any migrant that's just trying to come into the U.S. But the reality is, like you were just talking about, and I've laid out before, is that a lot of these migrants, uh, unfortunately, uh, are understanding that once they get here, there are a lot lot of benefits, uh, even for illegal immigrants uh, that were just simply not here uh, before. I remember uh, there was a uh, New York City was providing shelters for the surge of illegal immigrants. This is when uh, Governor Abbott and Ron DeSantis first started uh, busing illegal immigrants into other cities. And New York City was one of the heaviest hit with the busing of the migrants. And they said, you know, we're, we're being overwhelmed. We don't have a space for them. And so they were being put up in hotels. Well, these migrants were getting tired of living in the hotel. And they were demanding that they be, you know, allowed to be put in homes or that the government needed to put them in homes. And so 
they were chanting in front of these hotels, like, we want homes. We want homes. You know, we don't want to live in an apartment. We don't want to live. Like, we deserve to live in a home. And that video went very viral. And and and, and a lot of immigrants were saying, wait, what? And, and this is legal immigrants were saying, wait, what do you mean we want homes? And it's like a lot of us lost our homes during the pandemic, and we had to move states just to have a little bit of freedom to be able to work or to be able to go back to a sense of normalcy. And here you have illegal immigrants demanding that they be put up in homes now, that they be given, you know, uh, once they're transferred out of these detention centers in New York or these shelters, that they be given homes is like, what kind of entitled position is this? And so, again, you know, the nation is able to see that. And what I am seeing is a lot of Hispanics and Latinos are beginning to wake up again uh, to the realization that this isn't a compassionate, uh, you know, a stance that the administration is having. This is only strengthening the cartel. This is only strengthening cartel violence. This is only strengthening, uh, you know, the, the global human trafficking uh, because, you know, no one can ever convince me or anyone that the cartel truly, truly care about these families when the reality is that a high percentage of these migrants are, are raped, uh, they're violently assaulted, uh, men you know, are, are, are being killed off. Uh, when I was at the border um, last year uh, near the Rio Grande Valley, I had Border Patrol agents that were telling me that they have tried to communicate with media about these rape trees. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you have ever heard of the rape trees. Right. right. I'm from Texas. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and so the Border Patrol was saying that the media was refusing to cover this because they just simply didn't want to acknowledge that this was happening. So for those of you listening, you know, these trees were basically uh, on the Mexican side where cartels grab these young women, sometimes underage, you know, minors, and they are you know, sexually assaulting them under these trees and hanging up their undergarments and some kind of trophy. And so the cartel would com- compete with each other to see who can fill up their tree that they've designated for themselves with the most uh, undergarments of women that they have sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, this is the reality of that. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people are willing to oversee these realities because they said, well, at least they will finally be free here in America. But as we talked about earlier, that's just not the reality. Take it from someone that has illegal immigrants in my family. Take it from someone that I was raised in Section 8 housing with nothing but illegal immigrants living next to us. It It is not a free life. It might be a little bit better in the sense that they're making more wages, uh, but the reality is these these people are not allowed to vote. They can they can never fight for wages. They pay taxes in the sense of, of purchasing sales tax, uh, food tax, whatever it might be, but they never get to claim those taxes back. So it's just essentially more free money for the government. Um, and there's no health care. There's no you know uh, things have changed in some states, but that's just not a way to live. You know, and it's 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 really just corporate exploitation at this point of what they're doing with illegal immigrants and not just corporate exploitation, but child prostitution exploitation, um, among other things. And so if people just kind of want to turn, uh, you know, a side eye or, or, or turn a, a blind eye rather uh, to to the reality of what's happening at the border, they need to understand that it doesn't always uh, make it immediately get better uh, for a lot of these illegal immigrants once in the United States. And we also need to remember that a lot of them still get turned away. A lot of them still get turned away, even under, you know, uh, President um, Trump, when he was expelling over 90 percent under Title 42, it was still almost nearly at 50 percent under President Biden. So imagine, um, sure, there was a rise in illegal immigrants coming to the U.S. because now you had a 50-50 chance compared to a less than 10 percent chance. 
But that's still 50% of people risking their life every, you know, every day on this voyage, potentially being raped multiple times, um, sexually assaulted, you know, uh, battered, killed off sometimes. Uh, there's been many reports of cartel that have just thrown babies into the, in, into the lake because the people are refusing to pay what they were asked. And, and, and you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's human trafficking. It, it, and there's nothing compassionate about that. Um, we, we can talk about what policies could work. We could talk about working with foreign governments to to make the process easier. We can talk about immigration reform. But the way it's being done today, there's nothing compassionate about what's happening. All, and again, all it is is fueling the cartel wars, making them more prosperous, making them. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, industry uh, uh, work, work for them, you know, and, and they're just stronger and stronger now because of it. So can I ask you a changing subject a little bit? <clears throat> And I've asked this of many of my Hispanic friends. Um, with the mainstream media giving Hispanics a new title, Latinx, Latino X, I mean, I haven't found one um, Hispanic person that believes X belongs at the end of their... It's so <laughs> insulting. It, it, it's and, they're, so and they're insulting. How come the media is so insensitive against the community, whether it's, you know, destroying the families as you've said in many different ways, um, hijacking the name of the community, ignoring the community and using the community. Um, I, I don't understand. Can you it, it help us understand how this Latinx actually became a thing? Yeah, absolutely. So all it is is progressive activism. It's just another way to kind of destroy uh, identity. Uh, for those of you who don't know, so Latinx, it, they're basically replacing, well, even for those that might not know this part also, but uh, Spanish is a gender-specific uh, language. Uh, there are male and female um, words that are specific. You, 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 it, you, it's a very gendered uh, language. And so there are a lot of words that just will not translate into English. Um, and there's not a lot of neutral words per se to differentiate between a male and a female. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to replace. So usually when it ends in an O, like Latino is a male Latin person and a Latina uh, with the A at the end, it usually is a, a female. And, and that can be said for many, many different words. Um, abogado would mean a lawyer, a male lawyer. And then, you know, in, here in America, for example, we say lawyer and you can that could be a male or female, right. but not in Spanish. In Spanish, it would be abogada for female lawyer. And in English, it would be abogado. Again, that O and the A. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to turn that O and the A into an X so it can just be gender neutral. So you no longer have to try to be gender specific. Now, if you look at the polling, less than 3% of all Latinos and Hispanics polled, depending on what poll you're looking for, even like the term. We don't like being right. <laughs> we don't like being called Latinx first because everyone has trouble even saying it. But also, how would you how would you use it in a sentence? So other than just kind of like this woke ideology and this kind of wanting to sound, you know, cultured or progressive. 
uh, you're kind of destroying centuries old, which is kind of interesting to me because it's also coming out of the same field of people that talk about colonialism. They talk about how, uh, you know, the, the, the Spanish came and colonized the indigenous Mexicans and Central Americans and, 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 and Latin Americans rather, and that they've colonialized everything that, and that even Spanish, for example, is a colonialist mindset. But then here they are, you know, saying that, okay, well, now we need to change things again. But right. that's, my mindset right. <laughs> and my yeah. worldview has to be your worldview now. Exactly. And so what they're trying to do is, that, you know, I, there's a book by a uh, Spanish journalist. Her name is Paola Ramos. She works for NBC. She's worked with Hillary campaign and Obama campaign. Now, what's interesting about Paola Ramos, uh, especially if you have Hispanic audience listening to right now, that name probably sounds familiar. She is a da- she is the daughter of Jorge Ramos. Jorge Ramos is arguably probably the most famous Spanish reporter and journalist that there is in the entire world. Uh, he works for Univision. And, um, you know, he's kind of, yeah. he, if you don't know who he is, he, just so that you have a visual, he almost literally looks like a Hispanic version of Anderson Cooper. He even has like that white hair to him. And um, so, you know, he's, easy on the eyes. A lot of women find him to be a silver fox, you know, just like Anderson Cooper. Uh, but obviously he's, he's very liberal as well. And so, you know, he's come after Trump. Uh, Trump's had to remove him from some of his press conferences because he just loves to kind of uh, go in there with his semantics, you know, and, and, and try to argue things that are just simply not true. Um, but, you know, during the Trump administration, he was very famous. So his daughter came out with a book, which is what I was getting to. It's called Fight, Finding Latin X. So she came out with this book kind of explaining to people what Latinx is. I own a copy because uh, I obviously need to know, well, hey, maybe I should know what I'm talking about here. But even she admits in the very first chapter that she has no idea what Latinx was. But the reason why she latched onto it is because she is an openly lesbian woman. And she felt like it finally she had a term that represented the other of the Hispanic and the Latino community. Because a lot of people might not know this, but the Hispanic and Latino community uh, is very traditional, very conservative in the in the sense that even we believe in the very traditional family aspect, the you know, the mother, the father, and the children and the children. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, there's actually a lot of laws in across Latin America that persecute the LGBTQ community in many places it's still kind of illegal or uh, you know, you you get uh, publicly persecuted uh, by the Latin community because it's been so stigmatized, uh, you know, through, through the ages, um, and and they just believe in the natural family. They believe in the uh, you know the, the the original family, and so a lot of them have to flee to America, and so a lot of those fleeing to America, they're like, well, where do we fit in? Like the, the Hispanic community here still kind of sees us as other, and so they're like, oh, maybe we can create our like our own term, and so that's when they came up with Latin X. And if you if you kind of start investigating a little bit, the people that really uh, use that term are people that you know are kind of in that <laughs> other. Well, that that too, yeah, that leftist too. And, and media, that's who uses leftist that. yeah. media. And, and that's the thing is that it's a lot more white liberal that are using that term um, than it is, you know. Hispanics and, and Latinos in the community to eradicate and, the family. And that is rule number one. And their first name is Karen. So I, <laughs> we need to take another quick break for our sponsors. 
You're listening to Business Sense Radio and our show, Issues That Matter, with Edward King and Kristen Hurley. We have a wonderful guest today, but we need to take a break for our sponsors. Freedom Fest 2023 is coming to the home of the blues and birthplace of rock and roll, Memphis, Tennessee, July 12th through 15th. The ultimate summit for liberty and financial freedom hosted by Fox Business, Lisa Kennedy. Attend our global financial summit. Four days of investment advice, dozens of financial experts. Use promo code BIZ50 and save 50 bucks off. That's B-I-Z-5-0. Reserve your spot at freedomfest.com. See you in Memphis. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at alliancetrains.com. Okay, we're back, and we are very, very pleased. Now, Anthony, we have to wrap up. We've got only two minutes left of our show, and uh, we really appreciate this, what you've shared with us. But I want to go back to the very core purpose of our show today, with is to educate people about two things. What really is happening at the border, which you can't cover in a, even an hour, but also, you know, why are people being, uh, those that are being moved up from Guatemala and South America and Cuba and all of that, I mean, why are they being so manipulated? What is the purpose of the left that is here to destroy the community or the, our government? Or, I mean, there there must be a reason behind all of this because it doesn't benefit the people that are being immigrated. I mean, we can see that clearly. Right. So I actually have a couple of theories, but I, I think that the one that I, I I kind of just have dead set on my mind is the reason why so many migrants, first and foremost, the cartel have to, you know, it's a business. So they need the numbers to be high. So, of course, they're going to these communities, lying to them about the policy, saying this is the best time to come. You know, it, it's best that you go now if you're willing to immigrate your entire family. The cartel business is a thriving business and they have it just like any other business. They need PR. They need the numbers. They need customers. They need lifelong customers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and but it's I, the Democrats that are pushing it. So are you saying the cartel right. and Democrats are one and the same? Cartels are funneling some money through the Biden well, crime family. So is LLC China. Syndicate. We're, we're really running out of time, Anthony. We really appreciate you uh, being on board with us. We're going to have to have you back. Why don't you get a hold of us when you come back from the border and uh, we can bring our audience up to date to what really is going on. And again, thank you, Anthony. And where can people follow you real quick? Yeah, people can follow me on social media, uh, just at Inform with Anthony. Uh, I just want to say just one quick last thing. Look into the Bracero program. The Bracero program was put in the World War II era when Americans went off to fight in a global war. The, a lot of immigrants were invited into the U.S. to take up the jobs of Americans. And guess what? We're ramping up to go to war with Russia and China. That's right around the corner. What, what coincidence is it that we're also doing this now? Where we're importing illegal immigrants. I think that the that we're about to see something on a global scale where hundreds of thousands of Americans are going to go off to war. And what a coincidence that we're importing millions of cheap labor immigrants. So maybe that's something to think about. 
Well, thank you, Anthony. That's very interesting. And so I want to just thank everybody for listening. We're going to be back after the top of the hour news for our second hour. And again, thank you, Anthony, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Edward King. You've been listening to Issues That Matter with Edward King and Kristen Hurley. You can contact Edward and Kristen through the website bcrradio.com. And be sure to join us again next week at the same time on this station for another edition of Issues That Matter. The preceding was a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management.